Welcome to episode 637 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Just me this week. Richard's schedule just didn't really work out this week, so it'll just be me, which probably is a good thing. We've got uh, a lot more CES gaming news to cover that we weren't able to fit in last week, and obviously that's not really Richard's forte, so it'll just be me this week. And uh, so starting things, but we're not going to start with gaming news. We're we're going to start like usual with some video news because we're also not going to do feedback this week. I think we got some, but and I know I read some of it, but I couldn't find it quickly enough before the show tonight. So we'll cover all of the feedback of the last couple of episodes on the next one, hopefully with Richard too. So if you'd like to send us some email for a future episode, that email address is entertainment20 at the digital media zone. Dot com, which is also the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where you can find all of our shows, all of our other news, and of course, the show notes for this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube right now, click that like button, click the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode that we publish. So let's dig into the video news first. Really only one big story to talk about this week, and that is that Amazon has announced that they are investing in Diamond Sports Group. If you're not a sports fan, you might not know what Diamond Sports Group is, but this is the company that owns the Bally Sports Regional Sports Networks. So uh, I believe they're in about 13 different markets. I know for me, Bally is the regional sports uh, provider for Detroit, I think also for Cleveland. And, you know, so if you have cable TV, then you're watching Red Wings games and Tigers games and things like that on Bally Sports. They also have their own online streaming service, which, of course, is named Bally Plus because Plus means that's the online streaming service for the vast majority of content producers out there. And the the big problem here is that Diamond Sports Group filed for bankruptcy last year, and it looked very likely that they were going to completely go out of business at the end of maybe the basketball hockey season, maybe at the end of this year's baseball season. It did not look good that Bally Sports was going to be around for the long term. And so Amazon stepping in to, you know, to be a minority investor potentially saves Diamond Sports Group and potentially saves Bally Sports as a whole, which in general is just a really good thing. Of course, the the interesting thing about that is it's Amazon who has Amazon Prime Video. So now the question becomes, what will Amazon do to potentially add Bally Plus to its streaming service? Now, it for sure is going to add it to the, like, you can go into Amazon Prime Video now and subscribe to other services and make them available to you through Amazon Prime Video. You're for sure going to be able to do that with Bally Plus. The question will be, will they provide Bally Plus content in Amazon Prime Video 
at no extra charge or maybe at a slightly increased fee or something like that. We don't know. And they're they're not announcing any of those details until later, probably not until at least after this deal has fully been approved. But right now, Bally Plus is $19.99 a month. When we when this service first launched, I I asked the question, is this too expensive of a service? You know, when, when we think about things like ESPN and what ESPN plus ESPN Plus is not directly comparable to Bally Plus because ESPN Plus is streaming content from all over the place. You of course get uh, the NHL Power Play package, which is pretty much every out-of-market hockey game that you can watch that isn't on uh, nationally televised broadcasts like on TNT or something like that. But it also has lots of college sports and, and MMA and like all sorts of other sports. With Bally Plus, you're buying it for just a market. So like I could buy it to watch all of the Detroit sports games, but that's kind of it. Like there's more to it, but it's not like I get to watch everything. I just get to watch a particular market's worth of shows. And that's why I've always thought that 20 bucks a month for that seemed a little steep, but I know people who are subscribers to this. So, and it hasn't completely gone under or been canceled. So it's obviously working for some people, but it just seems like a lot for, for what you're getting there. So I will be very curious to see if Amazon Prime Video includes this at no additional charge in the future, or if they offer it at a discounted uh, subscription amount if you're already an Amazon Prime Video subscriber. But we'll, as usual, have to wait and see what Amazon ends up announcing for their acquisition, not acquisition, their investment in the Diamond Sports Group. Next up, we're going to jump into some audio news. Both of these are related to Google TV, and both also came out of CES announcements last week. So uh, the first one, they announced that Chrome, uh, that fast pairing, Google Android fast pairing support is coming to the Chromecast with Google TV. And what's fast pairing? Well, Fast pairing makes it incredibly easy and, well, fast to pair Bluetooth headphones with an Android device. And so adding this to your Chromecast with Google TV means that you can very quickly pair a set of Bluetooth headphones to your Chromecast, which we've talked about this a lot on the show in the past about there there are all sorts of scenarios where someone might want to watch TV with headphones on, whether it's to not disturb other people who might be asleep in their house. Maybe uh, you you are you have hearing related. Uh, uh, maybe you have, you're slightly hard of hearing, and what listening through headphones is easier for you. Like there's uh, maybe uh, you're on a treadmill uh, or some other fitness uh, equipment that's really loud, and so you can block out some of that extra noise. There's lots of situations where. Watching TV through headphones makes a ton of sense, even if around here, watching with full surround sound in Dolby Atmos is the preferred way of watching most things. Uh, headphones can also give you a pretty good experience when that's required. And so having Google Fast paired just makes it a whole lot easier to get your headphones paired with Google Chromecast. 
So that's one story for this. The other one, similar, is that Google TV, the same operating system used in that Chromecast device, is adding a new and fast way to switch your audio output device. So once you've paired your Bluetooth headphones with a Google TV device, now they're making it so that you can very quickly switch between the the default output, which would probably be your TV speakers, or your Bluetooth headphones. On while lots of TVs and, and other boxes support Bluetooth headphones, to switch your audio output device is typically many, many, many button clicks with, with your remote. A lot of times it's diving very deep into settings, menus, and stuff. And it's just not very accessible from from just a a, a lay person sort of perspective. Now, I'm regularly digging into these sorts of menus on my TV to mess with things, but I wouldn't expect the rest of my family to do that if they wanted to watch uh, with with headphones. So now it's just going to be in the quick settings menu. It should only be a couple of button taps on the remote, and you can switch between your audio output devices if you're using a Google TV. This is, uh, of course, something that's got to be supported by the device, and I would expect this comes to the Chromecast with Google TV first, and then lots of the other devices, including TVs that have Google TV built right in coming soon. So let's move on to the gaming segment. And this, this section was hard for me to whittle down because there's so much stuff that comes out of CES for gaming news. There, especially depending on how broad you want to go. There are gaming laptops, there are gaming monitors, there are new video cards that were announced. We're going to cover all of that, but not quite as at deep of a level as we normally would. So uh, first off, let's talk about video cards. And we don't talk a ton about video cards around here because frankly, I'm I'm never going to tell you that I'm an expert at video cards. But if you're building a gaming PC, this stuff matters. And both AMD and NVIDIA had new pretty important announcements at CES. So on the NVIDIA side, it's not exactly a brand new generation of cards. All of these cards still start with a four. They're still 4,000 series cards, but they announced supers. So we have the 4070 super, the 4080 super, there's a 4070 Ti super, I think. Like there's, it's a little bit confusing between like which ones got super versions of the TIs and which ones didn't. The important thing to know here is these are even higher performing GPUs than the previous models, and they cost the same. So a 4070 Super is $599, which is basically what the price of the 4070 was when it launched, but it's better than the 4070. And in some cases, like the 4080 Super is actually $200 less expensive than the 4080 was when it launched. Now, maybe don't get too excited about that just yet if you haven't been paying super close attention to the GPU market over the last three or four years. This is still not a cheap video card. 
the 4080 Super is still $1,000 just for that card. But these are all basically better than the previous things that were available and are, for the most part, the same cost or, in the case of the 4080 Super, even less than what they were previously. So definitely worth checking out. Now, the other big announcement was from AMD, of course, NVIDIA's biggest competitor. And this is at the other end of the spectrum. Uh, They announced the 7600 XT. So uh, similar to like the 4080 going to the 4080 Super, the 7600 XT is basically just a beefier version of the 7600 that's already been available. Now, these numbers can get really confusing. Like how, how do you compare the 7600 to one of these NVIDIA cards? So in this case, this is at the lower end of the spectrum. The 7600 line from AMD is really more of a competitor to the NVIDIA RTX 4060 series. So definitely lower end cards here. And the 7600 XT is really aiming at 1440p gaming. So while the 7600 came out last year and they said it was for 1440p gaming, it wasn't actually the greatest at it. It was really a really good 1080p video card. So if you're looking for 1440p and you don't want to spend a billion dollars on it, then you might want to consider this new AMD 7600 XT. So the really what it looks like to me, and I'm sure it boils down to more to it than this, the, there are two main differences between the 7600 and this new XT. One is they're doubling the video RAM. So you're getting 16 gigs of RAM on this thing, but the chip is largely the same, except it just looks like they're cranking up the amount of energy it uses. This thing consumes more power than the 7600, but it works. It looks like it's performing much better. And their own testing, AMD's testing that is against an RTX 4060 with 8 gigs of RAM, also shows that it outperforms the the RTX 4060. Now, that's AMD's own testing. So Take that with a grain of salt. Let's wait and see. Uh, These things are launching January 24th. So sometime around then we'll see, you know, third-party news outlets comparing these two cards head to head. But even still, they're comparing it to a 4060 with half the RAM. So that will have an impact on some of the, the numbers that it's able to produce. But We've got AMD's testing numbers, and basically across the board, the 7600 XT does outperform the 4060 8 gig model. Now, I-, I was talking about how expensive that RTX 4070 or no, the 4080 Super was at $1,000. These are far more wallet friendly. The a- AMD 7600 XT GPU will be launching for $329, which is pretty much in line with what an RTX 4060 with 8 gigs of RAM would cost you. So we'll only have to wait a couple of weeks to find out how competitive this card actually is. But if you're looking at a slightly more budget-minded 
1440p gaming PC, the 7600 XT from AMD looks like a really good option. Let's talk about gaming monitors now. So again, there were a ton of gaming monitors announced at CES, not surprising at all. And I, I, again, kind of like what we did last week where we gave you one article to look at some of the best uh, TVs last week. This week, I'm giving you one article to look at some of the best gaming monitors. This one is from Tom's Hardware, really one of the go-to places on the internet when it comes to computer hardware information. So we're going to cover three of their five because the other two were Samsung monitors that we talked about two episodes ago. So you can go back and listen to episode 635, which was actually our CES preview episode because Samsung announced theirs a couple of weeks prior to CES starting. So the three, we're going to talk about three of them here. The first one, this one is bananas. It is the Acer Predator Z57. Why is it the 57? Because it is a 57-inch computer monitor. That's bigger than the average television now. (laughs) So it's 57-inch ultra-wide. And when they say ultra-wide, they really mean it because the aspect ratio on this sucker is 32 by 9. Your average computer monitor or television is 16 by 9. So if you're trying to get an idea of what that looks like, imagine you had two 28-inch 4K monitors and you put them next to each other. That's roughly what we're talking about here <laughs> because you're getting the, the, the 4K height and two monitors worth of, of resolution width. So absolutely enormous. It runs at 120 hertz and it is massively curved. It has a 1000R curve, which frankly, I think you would need that on a 57-inch monitor that's going to be sitting on your desk. This uses mini LED and hits 1000 nits of peak brightness. 1000 nits of peak brightness is good, but frankly, for all of the other mind-blowing specs on this and it being mini LED, I kind of expected a little bit more brightness, but I really doubt you're going to be complaining if you get one of these to set on your desk. The one thing that I do think is a little bit odd about something like this is that resolution is crazy. So if you're actually planning to game on this, you better have the mother of all gaming computers (laughs) because to drive that many pixels at a decent resolution or at a decent refresh rate, that that's going to take some serious, serious hardware. So this is really only for the people who are spending the most on (laughs) their gaming computers. Or maybe you're just using this as a regular work computer and you just wanted something really, really big. So while 120 hertz refresh rate, it's not really anything fancy anymore. When you're talking about that much resolution, it's probably fine because you're going to have a hard time driving any more than like, frankly, you're going to have a hard time hitting 120 hertz on a AAA game from any gaming computer at this point. So let's scale this way back. <laughs> Maybe 57 inches is way too big for your desk. The Asus ROG Swift PG27 was 
called out as as one of Tom's favorite monitors this year. And the the big reason for it is it's one of the first monitors to support this new next generation version of NVIDIA's G-Sync technology. And it's called G-Sync Pulsar. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of how this all works, but the the main idea behind variable refresh rate technology, which is what NVIDIA G-Sync is, there's a, an open source version called uh, FreeSync, which has been created by AMD. So there's really two competing uh, technologies here for variable refresh rate. All, all VRR is, is technology that tells your display to refresh the screen at the same rate that the game is outputting. So games are regularly jumping up and down in, in their frame rates based on what's happening on screen and what your computer is able to output. So if it's outputting a frame rate that doesn't match the refresh rate of your display, it looks terrible. Like you you get what's called screen tearing and it just, it looks bad. So variable refresh rate technology allows your display, your monitor, your TV, whatever, to output at the same refresh rate of the game. And it cleans up the, the motion significantly. G-Sync Pulsar uses software to take it to the next level. And I don't fully understand how all of this works. I'm super curious to, to learn more about this. But what they're saying specifically with this uh, Asus ROG Swift PG27 is that this technology provides the same motion clarity as if the monitor was natively running at a 1000 hertz refresh rate. That's mind-blowing. Here's the other question that you might be asking, because I've been saying this for years whenever we talk about high refresh rate monitors. Does it actually matter? Can your eye tell the difference? Can your brain tell the difference? And I read an article that The Verge recently published that looked to answer exactly that question. And I don't think that they answer it super well, but basically what they did end up saying is, yes, your brain can actually tell the difference. And we have not reached the the level of display technology yet where the brain definitely can't notice a difference yet. So there is still room for these monitors to continue to go faster and faster and faster. Now, where it becomes, uh, you know, the point of diminishing returns, mm, that hasn't really been decided yet. And we may have already hit that at some points because th- th- there were multiple displays announced in the last month, some even before CES, that have hit like 480 hertz. I believe last year at CES, uh, we talked about a like a 1080p display that was hitting 500 hertz. So they're up there. But again, you have to have the the gaming PC to drive that refresh rate. So those those sorts of refresh rates really only make sense for specific types of games, very competitive esports type games, League of Legends, Counter-Strike, things like that. All right, so that's that one. The last one that we're going to talk about is Alienware's latest monitor. This is the AW3225QF. This is a 32-inch 4K QD OLED, similar to the the monitors that we got super excited about last year. But 
they're upping the refresh rate again. So this is a QD OLED with a 240 hertz refresh rate, which is great and far more realistic than, you know, 480 refresh rate and things like that. It also does 1000 nits of peak brightness, which is great out of an OLED and hits 99% of the DCI P3 color gamut. So should be a pretty accurate monitor in terms of color reproduction too, if you're not just gaming, if you're doing work, uh, you know, video or uh, image work on this monitor, it ought to do a pretty good job of supporting that too before you, you know, shut off work for the day and start gaming on this thing. Should be a beast. And Alienware is sticking with their warranties too. They're still providing a three-year warranty against burn-in on these OLEDs. They're standing behind that idea that these uh, quantum dot OLEDs won't suffer from burn-in, which has been the biggest concern with OLEDs from the beginning. So Alienware sticking with the technology, advancing it a little bit more for this year. All right, last round of hardware stuff in the gaming department from CES. And this this time we're going to talk about laptops. I've read about a lot of laptops, a lot of them. I didn't really find a good article to share with you that like really breaks down the top five or the top 10 or anything like that. And in, in all of my reading of all of the different gaming laptops that were announced this year, frankly, most of them sounded like incremental upgrades. They're a little bit better than last year. You know, it's not like we have crazy new GPUs. You know, there's not a 5000 series NVIDIA chip to put in these things. Intel's new CPUs, they've got the 14th gen, they've got the core ultras, but none of them look to be dramatic steps forward for gaming. So I wasn't really blown away with many, but there was one gaming laptop in particular that most of the sites that I was reading were like, yep, this is the clear winner this year. And it's from Asus. It's the ROG Zephyrus G14. And this is, I mean, you could call this another incremental upgrade. The G14 has been around for a few years. It's been one of the favorites of many uh, publications for years, partly because it's good and partly because it's typically a lower cost option. These are pretty much always cheaper than like razor blade laptops and things like that, typically cheaper than Alienware, uh, but still really good laptops. The Zephyrus G14 this year, they've, <laughs> frankly, they've made it look more professional and less like a gaming laptop. And I think a lot of people will appreciate that. So it has more aluminum construction in the case, a lot less plastic. It has a lot fewer, uh, you know, RGB lighting craziness going on with this thing. It just looks like a more normal 14-inch laptop that you can get your work done on. You won't be looked at as like some crazy weirdo gamer if you show up at the office or at a coffee shop with this, but it also has its gaming chops. So it's running the latest Ryzen 9 CPU. The, the display is upgraded from last year. It's, it's an OLED running at 2880 by 1800. If you're thinking those numbers sound a little weird, that's because it's a 16 by 10 aspect ratio. So again, 16 by nine is the normal. So that means 16 by 10, it's a little bit taller, which 
for gaming and watching movies, you don't care about as much. But if you're doing anything else on the laptop, having that extra vertical real estate is really nice to have. Really nice to have. So 16 by 10, I really think is is the sweet spot, unless you can get three by two, but that can be a little bit weirder. Uh, 16 by 10, really nice. Uh, and it's a 120 hertz uh, G-Sync display. So this has got a really, really nice display. You can get it with up to 32 gigs of DDR5 RAM. It's got lots and lots of ports on it. Um, HDMI 2.1, regular USB, USB-C, everything that you could want there. And it can be equipped with up to a GTX 4070. And it's really light. It's only 3.4 pounds. So we don't have pricing or an actual release date on this thing yet, but this was the laptop that everyone was talking about. So if you're in the market for a new gaming laptop, you should definitely check out the ROG Zephyrus G14 this year. All right, last gaming story. This one is just software and not hardware. One more announcement out of NVIDIA, and this is around their GeForce Now service, which is their online game streaming service, which is essentially a service that allows you to play PC games that you've purchased from the cloud on you know far less powerful devices, whether that be a regular non-gaming computer or directly on your television or an NVIDIA Shield type device, even Chromebooks support GeForce Now. So the, the main announcements are that GeForce Now will now support G-Sync. Again, that's that variable refresh rate technology. So GeForce Now will know what the the frames per second is of the game that it's streaming to your television, and then your television will uh, adjust its refresh rate accordingly. Awesome, awesome news there for GeForce Now. They're also making some tweaks to what you can get as an ultimate tier subscriber. You will now uh, be able to game it up to 240 frames per second. You're also going to be able to stream 4K at either 60 or at 120 frames per second. And on Android, they're going to su- support up to 1440p resolutions as the resolution on Android phones continues to go ballistic. The other change they're making is uh, up until now, GeForce Now, like most services, was really only available as a monthly subscription. But if you just want to check it out, but you don't want to pay for a whole month, you can get a day pass. So they're doing this for two different tiers of the service. The ultimate tier, which is what gets you access to you know the highest frame rates, the top of the line uh, GeForce cards, all of that. This is the absolute best experience you can get from GeForce Now. You can get a day pass for $8. If you want to pay for a month, that's $20. If that seems like a little more than what you want to pay, or maybe you don't care about all of the extra features that Ultimate Tier gets you, you can get access to the Priority Tier for $4 for the Day Pass, which would normally cost you $10 a month. So obviously, if you're planning to do this for more than a couple of days, just pay for a month. But if you just wanted to check out GeForce Now, throwing eight bucks down, playing for a day to see what the best possible experience from GeForce Now is, that, that's a pretty nice option without having to, to pay more for a longer-term commitment. And that's it for our major CES 2024 coverage this year. 
There's still some other things that we might talk about uh, next week that are a little bit weirder or a little bit more under the radar, but that pretty much does it for our CES coverage. So with that, let's dip into what's going on in our entertainment centers. Although I guess this week it's just what's going on in my entertainment center. On the gaming front, not really anything interesting or new. It's just a little bit of Forza and NHL. On the TV front, continuing to watch The Expanse Season 3. Also, one of my favorite motorsports events happens at the beginning of the year, and that is the Dakar Rally. For the last few years, it has been a two-week-long rally that's been going across Saudi Arabia, so the, the deserts of Saudi Arabia. It is a grueling, amazing car race. I love this event every year. I'm not fully up to date yet. I've been watching this on YouTube. I thought for sure I was going to have to subscribe to Peacock to watch watch this, Uh, but no, they are producing uh, extended daily replay videos, you know, roughly 30-minute videos every day on YouTube for free. Why would I pay for Peacock when it's available on YouTube? Maybe to avoid the commercials, I guess, but it's fine. So, That's how I've been keeping up with the Dakar rally. Uh, Fortunately, Dakar rally is obscure enough that it's not like anybody's spoiling this for me. So it's okay that I am not up to date. In fact, I'm pretty sure the rally is over by now, but I'm still a few days behind. So uh, if you're in the live chat and you know who wins, don't spoil it for me, please. Uh, And then lastly, football, my Detroit Lions. You know, last week I was talking about how I was celebrating the the Michigan Wolverines won the college football national championship. Now my NFL team, for the first time in 32 years, won a playoff game last week. I was so excited, so excited. They continue on. I like their chances this week too against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, let me tell you, it's just a great time to be a fan of football teams that come out of Southeast Michigan. It's, it's great. Go Lions. Really looking forward to seeing them continue on in the playoffs. And then books. I think I talked about this one last week, A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. I did finish it. Uh, this one, again, was recommended by my wife. It is her favorite book series. This is fantasy. It is a series. I don't remember how many books. Five, six, seven. I'm not sure exactly. This is the first one. It's where you should start. It's okay. Again. Uh, maybe kind of take this with a grain of salt because I'm not the biggest fantasy fan, but same author as the the person who wrote uh, A Throne of Glass. I really liked that series. This one, book one is just okay. And, and Jen will admit that too. She's like, when I reread the series, I typically either skip book one entirely or start kind of near the end because it's a little bit of a slow buildup. And then it eventually gets good. I, I'm not going to say much more than that. I'm, if Jen wasn't the one telling me to read this and she wasn't telling me how much better this series gets, I would probably be done with it at this point. But this series has a, a huge following. So I'm going to continue it. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if I end up liking it more than uh, Throne of Glass. I'm not sure that I will, but... It, I, I'm going to give it a chance because it, it was it was good. It just wasn't as good as as Throne of Glass. So again, that's called called a Court of Thorns and Roses. 
by Sarah J. Mass. All right, well, that's it for that segment two. If you'd like to get a hold of us for next week, you can do that in a bunch of different ways. Of course, leave comments on the website or on the YouTube feed if you're watching there, and make sure you've clicked that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. You can also get a hold of us on social. The website and me are on Twitter still, at Josh Pollard and at DigiMediaZone on Twitter. Richard is on Mastodon at Richard Gunther. I'm over there too, but not posting nearly as frequently over there. And I'm at Josh Pollard there. We record this show live most of the time (laughs) on Twitch. And it's typically going to be Wednesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern for the next couple of months. Follow us on, on, well, you can follow us on Twitch once you get here, and then Twitch will notify you once we're going live. But if you follow us on socials, we typically post there also ahead of time to give you a little bit of notice for how you should be spending your Wednesday evening, you know, watching Entertainment 2.0. But that's going to do it for episode 636. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.